are live from the empire of lies. Welcome to the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. I'm investigative reporter Lee Strahan, and this is the backstory. And it's a Carmine Monday. The great Carmine Savi is joining us as special guest host, co-host. Hey, Carmine, how you doing? I feel like that should be a song. Just another Carmine Monday. Oh. No, maybe not. Now you're not know. dancing, are you? I'm not. You're not dancing like Lizza, are you? I hope, or please, no, I'm not. So we'll talk about those issues. We'll talk about, about the obese controversy well, later. She's the picture of health, isn't she? Well, she, yeah, but she's a picture of riches. Did you see her private jet? I did not. And she's like getting into it in a thong, more or less. And Why? picture that. But we've got a lot of. <laughs> I, I suppose she wanted to go someplace. But we've got a lot of stuff to talk about today. It's a busy weekend. And did you see Trump's statement asking for a do-over in the election? Did you, did not. Did you see that? I, I, I did not. I did okay, not, Donald Trump has suggested a do-over. And I'm going to talk about why that's significant, even though there's no way he's going to get it. But he's, he, Trump is like a dog with a bone on some issues. And I think it's very significant. But let's talk about who's on the show. First off, in the first hour, the guy who grew up down the street from Hunter Biden, the great Tyler Nixon, will be joining us. And it's going to be a great conversation with Tyler. And then in the second hour, we've got a friend, Ted Rawl. Always love talking to Ted. And we'll be talking about the New York governor telling people to get out of her state. You saw that, of course, right? Yes. And what that means. So we we have a great show today, and we're taking your calls, 202-521-1320. This is the backstory. So what'd you do this weekend, Carmine? Work? Work. I work on weekends. So I, do you know what I did? I, I looked at a lot of apartments on the, the computer because I'm getting ready. Now I'm almost 100% that I'm going to be moving back to D.C. in the fall. I think the fall could be winter. It could be that in-between period. I don't know. What's early December? Is that fall or winter? Well, I know that if you remember, something, 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 December. Something, 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 I don't know. Right. But uh, so I was, and by the way, now, do you ever get down to D.C., Carmine? Do I ever do what do you ever get down to Washington, D.C.? I try not to, no. But you, you ever do? No. I was, I was there once okay. in my life. I did. Well, no, no. I'll take you places that are very nice. Now, there was a running back for, I'm going to call them the Washington Redskins. Because oh. that's what they are. The yeah. football team. They, they, they're now the Commanders, which is a ridiculous name. But... Yeah, uh, and so red, Redskins, obviously, but whatever. Yeah. Did you see the running back from the Washington Redskins who got shot in the arm during car- carjacking last night in D.C.? Horrible, man, horrible. Now, I'm not going to live in D.C., 
I'm going to live in Northern Virginia, which is relatively safe. But I'll work in D.C., and I think I'll be safe at 3 in the afternoon. So the the thing I'm thinking about, I'll take, is I owe you a stake, Carmine, you know, and you hold it over my head at every opportunity. But I, I will I will make your stay. You know, I like Outback Steakhouse, man. You can just door dash me. Well, you know, my girlfriend and I, Danny, and I just ate at Outback Steakhouse. They make a good steak, man. Yeah, no, it it is good. Danny Danny hadn't been in a while, and we were both surprised, pleasantly surprised, by how nice it was. Yeah. But what I would do is I would like to make you one on the grill. We're looking at these apartments— that have all these amenities, you know, these apartment buildings that have a pool and a gym and barbecue grills. You know what I'm talking about? A little. Yeah. So we'll see. But but that's what I did this weekend. Now, let me talk about the Trump thing I hinted at. Donald Trump came out with a statement, and I don't know if it's on truth or where it is, calling for a redo. What? I mean, just from what you're telling me, it's absolutely horrible. No, what he's saying is the election was clearly affected by the FBI hiding the Biden laptop story. Sure. And he's right. He's right. And I've been saying for a while that he needs to stop talking about the election votes and talk about the Biden laptop story. But even that, that. The mailing scheme was also what it was. No, I agree. You need to fix that legislatively. And the Republicans are sort of working on. But I think even calling it by saying the press buried the Biden laptop story, he does not actually sum up what happened. So what do you think the Biden laptop story was about? Was it about having a son who croaked— Smokes cracking like sores? No, it was about uh, his father peddling influence and making money off Bingo. his name with the help of his son. I think the FBI, they just did not bury a story. They concealed evidence of a crime. They're helping to obstruct Absolutely. justice. Right? And that's the way Absolutely. Trump needs to approach it. Right? He needs to approach it not about the Biden laptop story and the fact that they buried it, the fact that the FBI is helping obstruct justice on corruption involving Biden, right? Correct. Because that's what happened. Yes. And I'll t- and he was on the tarmac getting on a plane, and he was asked about why do you call Biden a criminal? And he did a great Trump thing. He looked at the reporter and goes, you're the criminals. You didn't cover the story. But it's more than that. They buried it. Now, let me ask this. What is possibly keeping any reporter from a real, you know, respected newspaper? I'm not saying they're good, but they're respected. The Washington Post, the New York Times. What is keeping them right now from saying, "Okay, we're talking about the laptop. Let's look into that story. Let's talk to Tony Bobolinsky. I mean, I don't. This is a real question. Are you asking me this question for real? Well, I, I'm not, not not really. It's rhetorical mostly. But I'm saying oh, the fact that the fact that they aren't covering Bobolinsky now shows the bias, right? 
Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. Yes. Now, I'm glad he said this because a lot of his fans will say we need to do a do-over. That's not going to happen. But Absolutely. what he could do, but what he could do is he could shame the media by bringing up this issue. He could shame the media into covering the Bobolinsky thing. I don't know. I think here's, here's, my, here's my issue. I don't think they have any shame. You don't think what? I don't think they have shame. Yeah, but like see, saying, well, I, I could, see, I've seen. Like saying you could shame well, a porn star by showing her naked pictures. You know what I mean? They, no, right. But but they do have to. They do like talking about Trump. And if Trump's talking about this over and over and over and confronting me, media with it. I've seen I've seen stories and worked on them. The Anthony Weiner story. Trust me, the media did not want to cover it. But Andrew Breitbart was able to force them to cover that story by not shutting up about it. And that's what Trump could do yeah, but, about. But Trump has not shut up about any of this stuff, bro. It doesn't matter. Fox News hasn't shut up about it. The media has just put their hands in their pockets but, and we're not doing this. Well, OK, but let me point out, up until now, what he would not shut up about is the frickin votes. And he, he's out there with my pillow guy and he would not shut up about an issue that is a dead end issue. No, I didn't say dead question, end. Bro. Yeah. Has Fox News, has Fox News shut up about the Hunter Biden laptop? Well, the they have never brought up the real issue. I've not seen Fox News hit on the point that this is about corruption. And what the FBI did was not just bearing a story, but it was obstructing justice. So I'm saying Trump is inching closer to the issue they won't be able to ignore. I mean, I think in order because for that to happen, the Republicans have to take back Congress. They have to drag Mark Zuckerberg. They have to drag in Twitter. They have to drag in the FBI. And they have to get to the bottom of what happened. And then the media will have to cover it, yes. No, no, I, I'd say if Trump keeps bringing this up at every tarmac appearance, Peter Ducey, who covers the White House for Fox, won't not be able to bring it up. Peter Ducey will bring it up. And see, then what happens, uh, Carmine, is when the press secretary answers in a fumbling way about the Biden laptop and about Bobulinski. Well, what about what what did the president mean by what did his son mean by 10 percent for the big guy? Who's the big guy? Can you imagine the press secretary feeling that question? She would choke. But how first? I guess I'm just, you know, how did the media not ask that question in 26? How do you not ask that question in 2020? That's a, that's an obvious. Because, well, because they suck, right? So they didn't ask it before. But moving forward, I think this presents a good opportunity. And I hope Trump gets okay, off. See, here's, the thing, here's the thing, though. If they ask it now, if they ask it now, now I'm pretending I'm in the newsroom, okay? If they ask it now. I would say, all right, well, how do we explain why we didn't ask it before? Well, they they don't do that. They they never explain. And they never say, they never apologize. We sorry we didn't cover this before. Oops. 
And did you see Rob Reiner was on Bill Maher this weekend? And he's still defending every aspect of it. And when Bill Maher oh, yeah. brought up he's an idiot. the laptop. He's an idiot. You can't really take him uh, seriously. Some would say a meathead. A meathead, so, yeah. He, he looked at the definition. It's interesting if you think about his character from All in the Family. You know, I thought it was a brilliant character until I realized he wasn't acting. <laughs> That's a good point. It was so, just him. So now, what else was happening this weekend? I'll, I'll tell you something completely minor. The VMAs, the MTV VMAs, and the big winners. <laughs> I called this. I called this years ago. Was K-pop group Black Black Pink? They were the big winners, and anyone can check the record. I've been talking about Black Pink for years, years ago, and on this show. I mentioned Black Pink, so they're finally catching up with me. Fifteen-year-old no girls are finally catching up, up with me. They're a K-pop group. A, a K-pop. Group. They're one of those Korean pop. There's one group. There's one. They're one of those groups. Have you noticed we have musical artists who dance better than they sing? Yes. They're one of those groups. But you're telling the song's me not you. Good. A journalist. But I would be a big fan yeah. of it, huh? Now, speaking of Canada, so let's go to the first clip because I got a bunch of clips for you. This first clip is Christina Freeland. And let's just listen to it. Hit it. So you're confirming that accounts have been frozen, both personal and corporate, but you're not releasing the information. And the actual follow-up is, um, I'm just wondering whether the bank accounts will be targeted of individuals who donated to the Give, Send, Go and the GoFundMe campaigns. Are they considered designated people under the Emergencies Act, meaning that their credit cards could be cut and financial services are targeting them as well? Okay, so the names of both individuals and entities as well as crypto wallets, have been shared by the RCMP with financial institutions. And accounts have been frozen, and more accounts will be frozen. Uh, crowdfunding platforms and payment service providers have started the registration process with FinTrack. Uh, in terms of the specifics on whose accounts are being frozen, uh, you now have the regulations. The financial service providers have those regulations as well, and they, working with law enforcement, will be making the operational decisions. So that's the Deputy Prime Minister of Canada talking about the truckers and how they seize bank accounts. Now, what I'm asking you is, Given everything we're seeing, Carmine, the Mar-a-Lago raid, do you think the U.S. government are going to be as bold as the Canadian government eventually in using, seizing money from oh, God, the political yes. opponents? Oh, Lord, yes. Why wouldn't they? Bro, you know, when people That's, ask me these questions, and I get asked these questions all the time, believe it or not, questions like this. And people always ask me, do you think that, uh, you know, this or that? And I'm always like, yes. Yes, I put nothing past our government. Our government, are you kidding me? We'll do anything. Yes, and I think that people like Christina Freeland being, she's setting precedent, even though it's a different country. She's making it, I'll put it like this. I think even five years ago, hearing a government official come out and say, yes, 
were seizing the banking accounts of people would have been shocking. But today, it's not shocking. You know what I mean? It seems bad oh, no. to a lot of people. Right? No, not at all. I'm not shocked even a little. The other thing going on this weekend, there's a lot of talk about the Zaporozhia in Ukraine uh, uh, or, or Russian-occupied Ukraine, the Zaporozhia nuke plant. Now, the, here's the way the media is covering that. It's weird. The media admits that Russia controls the nuclear power plant. So let me ask you, Carmine, just logically, if Russia controls the plant and someone is shelling it with missiles, is it Russia or Ukraine? I'll say it again. If Russians are in the plant, they control the plant. Who I mean, I have is lobbing missiles at it? I got to assume what? Russia is not shooting itself. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I had trouble hearing you. Oh, I said I have to assume Russia is not shooting at itself. Yes, exactly right. That's well put. They're not shooting at themselves. But the media won't actually admit that. The problem that the nuclear plant is under is it's being shelled. And it's controlled by Russia. So the people shelling them. But generally, the, the irritating habit they have and they did it on the, uh, a broadcast I heard this morning. They'll say the local mayor of the town did not deny that Ukraine was shelling him. That's another way of saying the local mayor said Ukraine's doing it. You see what I'm saying? Not denying it is like doing it, right? Correct, yes. Yes, but they won't come out and say that. Instead, they said, is not denying it. So the U.N. officials are on their way there with the blessing of Russia to look in this situation. So let's see how that plays out, because it is dangerous. They're going to lie. Lobbing. What's that? What's that, Carmine? They're going to lie. I don't know. You have a lot more yeah. faith in things than I do, bro. Well, see, my thing is that the lies don't work. Yes, they will lie. I was once in a lawsuit many years ago, about 20-something years ago, and we were in a meeting with a lawyer, and we were about to bring our opponent in for a deposition. And a person who was with me said to my lawyer, well, what if he lies? And my lawyer got a big grin on his face. He said, oh, I love it when they lie. See, the thing Andrew used to tell me, Andrew Breitbart used to say, I win either way. Either they admit the truth or they lie about it. Then I harass them more for lying. So I'm not worried about them lying. It's predictable. I hope they lie because they'll look stupid. And people see that. The reason people don't like and trust hey, the media anymore. That's, that's, where me and you, that's where me and you disagree. I real I, I think you have a lot more faith in people than I do. I, people are stupid. Yes, but I've seen stories. Okay, let me. According to your pessimistic theory, the Anthony Weiner story is <laughs> never going to come out because Anthony Weiner will never admit stuff. So how do you get to the point? And that's a good example. There eventually comes a point where they do admit things, and it's a matter of wearing them down, grinding them down. Got to really, uh, you got to really wear them down. Okay. 
So what what did you see this weekend that was interesting to you? I mean, you know, it, it wasn't an eventful weekend uh, in, in my neck of the woods, man. It, you know, same old, same old, you know. Um, the, the 2A case, I guess, was kind of big, you know. Um, oh, there was one court case. What am I thinking? Oh, the um, they're admitting now that they did take some of Trump's personal records, but just a little. Just yes. a little of his attorney-client privilege record. Just a little. Just a few. Yeah, just a few. I, sure. Uh, and now you've, by the way, you, already seen them. Right. And I, I take it they were not something that Trump had redacted. Did you enjoy those uh, no. redactions, Carmine? Oh, man. Well, you understand my point, then, of why I'm so pessimistic. Did you see D. Uh, Schneider I, today? No, but I saw his name come up over from Twisted Sister. I saw his name come up. What's D. Snyder up to? Remember, we're not going to take it. And he also talked about how how nice of a man Trump was, and he, you know, he he want he he was fine letting Trump use the "We're not going to take it" song, but the rest of Twisted Sister wasn't, and his management team wasn't. So he called Trump, and he asked Trump not to use it anymore. And Trump was so gracious. He says now all of a sudden he's calling us maggots and terrorists. Is that I said I guess we're not going to take it. Actually, meant we're going to do whatever our corporate masters tell us to. Right, and that's what that's what happened this weekend. That's what happened today. Okay, yeah, no, I did not see that. And let me ask Command Central: Are we late with the guest or not at all? Okay, so I've just been informed that we're not going to have Tyler Nixon today. So, Carmine, it's you and oh, me flying no. solo this hour. No, he's okay, but we're not going to talk to you, Tyler, and it's always great. So we'll do, we'll handle this on our own. Okay, Carmine? We got it, bro. So 202-521-1320. Let's go to the killer of owls. Owl killer, our friend. What is on your mind? So I want to hit two things. Let's talk about the Trump bringing up that the FBI interfered in the election. But I also want to hit the student loan thing. I keep getting stopped on that. Um, so the, the Trump thing. Um, yes. And who is the big guy? That should be a T-shirt. That is the... That is Bill Clinton's a rapist. That's what should be said over and over and over again. It will really move the country. Um, the problem. Well, let me let me just stop you there. I'll go right back to you. On a personal note, I sent you know Thomas Massey is the great congressman from Kentucky. So I don't know. I've never talked to Thomas Massey, but I tweeted at Thomas Massey. You should ask. We need to find out who the big guy is. And we need, what I said to him, we need to get a copy of the FBI's notes on their meeting with Zuckerberg. Because if the FBI met with Zuckerberg, as we talked about last week, I guarantee you there's notes from that meeting. And I, I, I tweeted that to him. And I noticed a couple hours later, Thomas Massey liked my tweet. Now, him liking my tweet, in in a sense, is minor. But in a sense, it tells me a congressman think that's a good suggestion to ask the FBI for their notes. So I think that's a kind of big deal. Do you agree it's a kind of big deal, Owl Killer? I think it's kind of a big deal, but we know they—it's a big deal in the sense that they— in, 
inadvertently responded to to what you suggested. So they had to come out with with some type of cover for it. But we know they changed notes. And what type of archaic system are we in where the FBI writes stuff down? And that's you have to believe what they said because they wrote it down on the 302. What? He's right. When I was working with NCIS, we were recording every every interview we did. So, like, it's it, it just the notion of it. Okay, so, so let, me, let me counter that with uh, this re- speaks to what Carmine's saying, too. So what's the option? Just freaking give up? What do you do? You just give up? They might lie. Oh, so let's not ask the question. You do not ask the question because the, the respondent might lie. You ask the question anyway. Then you see what they answer. And if they lie, then you deal with that. But there's no answer to the idea that do you ask someone a question? Here's the thing. When you ask someone a question, they always might lie. That's always possible. The person you're asking a question to might lie. But what I do is then I respond, I deal with that new reality. But the thing I don't like about bringing it up, I don't bring up that they might lie. I'm aware of that. I I don't use that because the question I ask at the beginning, what do you do then? Give up? Because I would never, you know, with that kind of pessimism, I would never write I wouldn't come to do the radio show if I thought there was no way of changing anybody's opinion. I would just go lay down right now. I would not do the show. So as a politically active person, I'll kill her. What is the point of telling me that they might lie? It seems to me like you're saying, well, give up. So I'll kill her. I know, I know you're not saying that. And I'm making the point strongly. But what do you say, buddy? What I what I see is that the fish rots from the town and the institutions themselves are rotten. I gave you my what the, the real solution for this is that the institutions themselves, the FBI, the CIA, um, the but they might not want to change them. So we we oh, oh God no, they might not want to change them. They might want to keep it the same. So so do you see what I'm saying? Anything you bring up. I can say, well, it might not happen, and as that's negativity to me. But they, but go ahead, buddy. Okay, they spied on the president of the United States, attempted to frame him, framed a a three-star general, framed uh, three other individuals associated with his campaign. They got caught. They admitted to even uh, editing emails, and nothing happened. The, you can't. You can't have a. There's nothing we can do with this institution in place. The only answer to it is the institution itself. Hey, you, whether you have one year or fifty years, you're retired, full pension. But guess what? FBI doesn't exist anymore. That is the only peaceful solution to this. Is Tell me how to achieve that. And, and there's no way you're going to achieve that next week. It's a slow grinding down process. You have to go through and do the work. And the work is asking questions as a journalist, knowing that your opponents are going to lie, but doing it anyway. Al Killer, do me a favor. Hold on one second. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we'll have more of you, Al Killer. Great caller. 202-521-1320. Let's take a short break on a Carmine Monday. This is the backstory. 
are back on the backstory and on 105.5 FM, AM 1390 in Washington, D.C. So Al Killer is on the line. And Al Killer, I, I agree with your point broadly. We need institutional change. But how are you going to achieve it? You're not going to achieve it by being stopped in your tracks every time someone lies. You have to go through a process. And if it takes 50 years, it's 50 years of that process. So I think what Al Killer saying, maybe he's not, but I'm saying it, is you've got two parties that are happy with the status quo. There's signs the Republicans are really fighting this. So what do you do when nobody's fighting it? Well, I, I'm asking you, what's the solution? You keep working at it. You keep asking questions. You keep trying to figure out how to frame it better. The reason Trump, I've said it for months, the reason Trump has not gotten any traction is because he's bringing up a stupid point and he's dealing with stupid people. The My Pillow guy is not achieving success for Trump. Oh, correct. And rather than, correct. Right. And rather than look at that and say to myself, Donald Trump, I, sh I need to take a different approach. He's been doing exactly the same thing. It's Trump and Mike Lindell bringing up points. So I'm saying at least now he seems to be developing a new strategy. And I hope he sticks with it. Does that answer your question, Al Killer? Look, he's right right now. He should. He needs to stick on. Yes, the Hunter Biden, the laptop itself. That we actually have a federal agency, a federal law enforcement agency. No business messing around on Facebook. Who cares if the Russians bought eighty-five billion uh, ads on Facebook? What the, that is? That's not. That's not federal law enforcement. You stick to worrying about. The mafia, um, domestic terrorism, stuff like that. Hey, hey, the deal, deal is they interfered with the election. Okay, they actually did. You actually, and not only that, you had the those other intelligence agents operatives. The fifty of them came out and signed that letter. That's other interference. This was a systematic. When you talk about systematic corruption, this was systematic. This was the military. This was um, the media. This was all the intelligence agencies. This was everybody. Were, I mean, they lie in the Times Magazine how they fortified the election. They told you straight up what they did. I say you, I'm talking about everybody. They told us what they yeah. did. Okay? Um, and the, in, and the, nothing will change. Nothing, nothing will change unless 50 million or 100 million people, Democrats and Republicans, show up and don't move, just like the Berlin Wall. Peacefully, don't do anything, but they don't move. And they just how the Berlin Wall fell, more came and more came and more came, and eventually the the Soviet army was on their side. That is that's the only way. And because we're fat and happy right now, nothing will ever change until so, impacting people's lives. Nobody's going to do anything. So I'm seeing change. Uh, it seems to me like, and you guys are speaking for a lot of people. A lot of people say that kind of negative thing. I'll tell you what, if I were George Soros, I would love you guys. If I can grind you down and make you quit before you even start. And the way I make you quit is I'll make you think you will never win, right? So I get you not to ask questions because you already think you'll never win. You Then the other side is won. So Al Killer, what say you? 
I disagree. I'm all for asking questions. I I disagree is that I think people actually think that the FBI is going to go start busting, is going to arrest Hunter Biden, and like Joe Biden's going to go to jail. That's never going to happen. That's what I mean. Yes, is how we get people in office that are going to propose the changes to these agencies and changes policies. Yes, I agree with that. But this idea that all oh, the FBI, as we get in, we're going to get the FBI on our side. They're going to go after our, like that. This idea of vengeful. Um, they, it basically, it's eventual retaliation. Like they thought they were going to get Hillary Clinton was going to go to jail. That's not going to happen. And I think people. So, really- so I agree with that, Alcoa. And I never thought that. So setting reasonable goals. And I agree. I think what needs to happen is Joe Biden. I think the officials that buried this at the FBI need to be called out for what they did. And what I'm saying is, even Trump's not doing it now. What they did was obstruction of justice. They did not just bury a story. It's not just a First Amendment issue. It is, but it's not just a First Amendment issue. They buried evidence of a crime. And so I think you change tactics. What is insane is doing the same thing over and over again. So, right? I agree. I just don't know if Trump is disciplined enough to stay on this. I think they'll shine something shiny at him, and he'll run over there and, like a squirrel. Well, no, I think he, I think he'll stick with this, and is not uh, because he's like a dog with a bone. And if he's got in his head the idea that the election could be overturned, and he does, and I think he's not. I said at the beginning, Trump isn't going to get that. And right, Carmen, you agree with that, right? No, it's never, there's nothing in the Constitution for that. That's why. I mean, exactly right. Doesn't anybody tell them that? There's no mechanism for that. Right. But it could lead to something else. I think it's the fact that he, I guess the thing that I'm enthusiastic about is that is Trump taking a different tack. I've been watching him beat his head against the wall. And luckily, he has a pillow to make it softer. But I've been watching Trump beat his head against the wall for two years. And now I see something that he might be able to win. And what he might be able to win is not replacing Biden, but is getting the media to ask him about those issues. So, Al Killer, we got Skip on the line, but you, you wanted to bring up something about, I forget what, what issue, but you said you don't want to forget it. So I'm reminding you, what is it, Al Killer? The The student loans, I agree with Brave. Hey, look. You want to talk about wasteful spending? Hey, let have, we give Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, Boeing, they can take a little bit of a cut this year. Let's just redistribute it that way. Just cut, they, can, they can each give up 10%, 20% of whatever they get just for a year. You also, those uh, school endowments, cut them by 50%. See how quick the issue goes away. I, I don't. And so— so wait one second. Uh, so Carmine, what are you, what are you talking about? Because Carmine wasn't on with Brave on Friday, but Brave was saying he's not that worried about with the student loan forgiveness about paying for it because they how much money have they spent on Ukraine or any number of other other issues? Is that about it, Owl Killer? 
Am I summing up the issue for Carmine properly? Pretty much. We got a trillion, just in defense alone, you got a trillion dollar budget. They can, and the bank, let's not even talk about the $700, $800 billion we spent them out in 2008. And who knows what else goes on behind the scenes. $300 billion in terms of every, in terms of the entire country, that's that's life changing for some people. So I'm not. I, I agree with him. I'm in. If as long as the printing press is going to be there, and I'm against Keynesian Keynesian economics, that's nothing. And in, in terms of our wasteful spending, we spent a trillion dollars in Afghanistan, a three trillion in Iraq. That let I don't. I don't want to hear anything about three hundred billion dollars. Here's the thing. I don't so, necessarily so disagree with what you're saying. I don't necessarily disagree with what you're saying. Here's my issue. What happens to the guys who paid their bill? What if we went to a restaurant tomorrow, you and I, okay, and you got your bill and I got my bill, right? And it was expensive. And I paid my bill. I paid my bill five minutes before you got there. Or, and then, no, or you paid your bill. Let's say it's even better. You paid your bill, right? And then you found out, oh, but they're giving Carmine his for free. They, they're going to just forgive it. They're going to forgive Carmine. Our tax. I have an answer. Give him a ten thousand dollar tax credit. The only one you give him a tax credit, ten thousand dollars. We won't. Anybody talking about that? But that's not what they're doing. They they have a proposal on the table, and that's not it. And my general argument is: at what point would you not justify spending? I think you could justify any spending. And at a certain point, if you don't not justify spending, it keeps happening. And that's when you get into big trouble because it's on every issue, whether it's health care or education, they just go, we've got the money. We can spend it. I think well, what would you not say that with? Alice making right now. But I, I, and nobody is proposing said tax credit. And even if they were, how much money are we going to give away? I mean, for God's sake, this country, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm a patriot to my core. and I'm an old school patriot. There was a group of pioneers who set across the wilderness and braved almost certain death. And if they died on the Oregon Trail, which was a great video game, then they died. Nobody, There was nobody helping them. There was no handouts. There was no, hey, you know, well, listen, if you can't do it. If Mary Sue was dying, they didn't even help pick her up. Mary Sue died. And, and I'm just so tired. Of, I'm not saying I'm the end of all social programs. But you, as a person, I'm not talking about you, Alec Hiller, I don't know what you did. But you, as a person, made a commitment to pay this loan. You signed a contract. You were a legal adult when you signed said contract. And now we're just going to say, well, you know what? Eh, it's kind of expensive. Forget it. That's not how life works. What do you do? Here's your first lesson, college kids. Um, it doesn't really matter. If you, if you complain loud enough, you'll get your way. It doesn't matter what contract you sign. So I, I don't think I don't think that's I don't think it's that's a, a valid argument in the sense that we have be, been given giving corporate welfare for the last thirty years to the military industrial complex on levels that have it's unprecedented. You we don't even know how much money has. Sure. So I what does one have to do with the other? That is why that is why the the right is not recruiting more more people that are independent and more people on the left because. When where is the outrage at the military industrial complex budget? Why is it an outrage when people are actually and how does this cause that? Explain to somebody. Be outraged at both. But, 
But what you're suggesting is that the answer to spending on the military industrial complex is to spend on something else. I, I don't yes. get that argument. You're, no, I, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not. I'm not. No, I'm. What I'm saying is the outrage towards it is it's misplaced. So one, you're you're mad at a kid. We're being told to be mad at kids that are not kids. We're being told to be mad at adults that have gotten themselves in a bad situation, but people that have literally ruined the lives of millions of Americans. That's the same thing they did with Black Lives Matter and Antifa. They took So should we allow child molesters because murder is worse? Should we allow child molesters because murder is worse? You see the principle? Just because hey, something's bad. Yeah, say it again, Carmine. Well, no, I was, I was just, I'm trying to understand the argument. I guess I'm not understanding your argument. It's what, what, what he just said, actually, what, what Lee just said is, is actually makes the perfect sense. So should we allow child molestation to support murder's work? It's not even close. It's not even close. It's not even a close comparison. Should you allow something bad because something is worse? That's the question. I'm, I'm, all, right, all right, I'll give you a better comparison. Then. Your wife. I'm not even saying. I don't know if you're married. But your wife. Your wife spends out of control. She is ruining the family budget. She's just going crazy with the credit card. You say, I'll show you. I'm giving our 16-year-old the credit card. Let him spend. Yeah, as opposed to get your spending under control. But great call, Owl Killer. I got to move on only because there's someone on the line. But uh, did you, did you, Owl Killer, great call. Thanks for calling. Now, 202-521-1320. Skip from D.C. What's on your mind? Really uh, love you, man. Um, so uh, you asked for a solution. I know you do. <laughs> I know you do because you're in my living room, just like I'm having my ear, <laughs> you know, like old school. Um, well, I'm sorry for yelling in your ear earlier. You know, sometimes I get a little spazzy. So keep going, Skip. You asked for a solution earlier. Can we backtrack? Yeah, sure. Okay. I've said this a few times, but I keep trying to say it better each time. So the solution for everything, and I mean like capital letters, all capital, everything, exclamation point, hashtag everything, is... um because you were talking specifically, well, kind of indirectly, but um, about voting reform and just like the whole system. So what I'm trying to say is this. If you treat individuals as individuals, if you treat lobbyists as individuals, if you treat uh, corporations as individuals, which they like to claim to so limiting $10,000, you can do any support you want up to $10,000. Every single person in the world or in the right in the voting community in the United States. Um, wouldn't that solve like everything? Wouldn't that solve corruption? Wouldn't that solve like, I know it. I, I know, like, all their audiences, like, get on with your point, and um, I see it as filling in all the cracks. It's 
not the most feasible idea in the most immediate future, but it's the solution. It really, really is. Corporations get $10,000. Individuals get $10,000. Lobbyists get $10,000. Everybody gets $10,000. And then we can do all this weird, like, oh, blockchain, you know, technology stuff. Like, yeah, we'll hack it all. And we'll just, and not to be like, you know, uh, it doesn't matter. Don't, I don't want to be like China and like, I'm done talking. I was waiting for you to interrupt me, Lee. Well, I'm sorry to disappoint you, Skip. Uh, You did. (laughs) So, very interesting. Call back anytime, Skip, because we got to move on only because we got Brave on the line, and we're just talking about him. So, 202-521-1320, Brave from Atlanta, what is on your mind? Hey, what's going on? Oh, I, I'm sorry. I turned it. I tuned in late. I caught the last bit of your conversation with Our Killer. Um, so uh, yes, I guess you guys have to let me know what you were talking about. Me, I hope I hope you weren't saying anything bad. I don't know. But oh, I want to apologize to uh, Karma. I'm sorry for my late replies on uh, Twitter. I, I'm I only get on it like maybe once a week if if I can. Because <laughs> it's, it's such nice. man. I'm terrible with social media, but I, I wanted to say um just for the points I heard on the um on your conversation with Our Killer. Um, I, I wish you guys would talk to them. Well, we're, we're, we're rather feeling. What's on your mind today, Brave? No, I was just calling to say I, I would have to disagree with um, the, the part of the conversation I heard. And again, it's unfair because I didn't, I didn't get to catch the whole conversation. But uh, um, as, as it relates to as, as it relates to uh, Biden and both for marketing and. Um, I just I think that it's, it's sad. It's such a political issue um, because they owe all of us. They owe all of us. I've said it before. Oh, all of us, man. But um, at first, I, w- I would say that um, obviously, what it, the little things that he's calling himself putting into place, and, and they're saying that he's missing the socialist over, and and he's playing to the far left is bullcrap because it's, I, I personally don't believe it's going to actually go through. I, I don't personally believe it's going to survive. Right. And then if it does, it'll be some watered down. It'll be some bullcrap attached to it so everybody doesn't benefit from it in the way that it should. Now, having said that, um, I went to Full Sail, and then I went to Art Institute, right? In two different term points of my life. I went to Full Sail when I first got there. I also went to Art Institute. Okay, so you then know. And I know Full Sail well. To go. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I know where this conversation's full- going. Again? I know where this so- conversation's going. You can make your point. Yeah, go ahead. So first, let me just say, um, I, I, I'm not sure when you went, Carmine, but I, I would say that the time frame that I went in was uh, quite different from high school uh, and watching uh, the college guys going to designers and artists and stuff going to Art Institute, and, and it seemed so, like, awesome. And then I went uh, much later. I, I just graduated back in, uh, 20, in 2019. But um, it's quite different. And, and let me just point out that there was a point where they were going to shut the school down. and they weren't even going to tell us. They were just going to shut the school down, and they were like, "We would just be uh, butt out on on our on our credits and the money that we had invested." And it was the time where I came back from a, from a uh, it was like a spring by spring break vacation, and the entire been fired. So there's a lot of things that go, and, and I'm just saying that as an example of how 
coaches, um, they are ripping people off, right? And true enough, you do make a decision to sign uh, to sign onto that contract and, and put that and get that money. But these institutions are in, in large in large ways corrupt, right? And, and then when you go and you look at just the state of our society and where we are versus where we were. I mean, I, I, as, as a young black man, I don't feel like America was ever really the best place to be. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying it's the, I'm not saying it's the absolute worst in the world, but I, you'll never catch me say, oh, yeah, it's the best. And I serve my country, right? But I will, ha- having said that, I will say there was a time where you had small businesses. There was a time where you had factories. There was a time where you could go to, you could go to school, get an associate's degree, come out, and then, and then look towards getting a great job. There was a time where you could not have to get a degree and then look out and then look towards getting a job. But when things are put in place like NAFTA and other such measures where they literally have been selling our economy, just, just selling it out from under us, right? And, and people, like, go crazy about China and what China's taking from us. Nobody twisted China's arm. You know what I'm saying? Like, we made those deals, right? And everybody gets mad at China. But what about the fact that our government, the people we put in place to serve us, have been selling us out consistently with no regard for how people are going to maintain and take care of themselves, how they're going to provide, taking whole companies, taking whole factories, and leaving the U.S. And I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican. That falls on both lines as far as those guys up in Washington. So, when I, like I said before, and I'll say it again, they should be paying us. They owe us. They take our tax money. They send tax agents after us. You come up short on your taxes if you want to and see how they're going to treat you after that. No, they owe us. They owe us for all the jobs they took from us. They owe us for all the hospitals they shut down. They owe us for the— So, bravely, let me ask you, though. Are you in favor of the government letting big corporations that have billions of dollars in the bank off the hook and helping the—, the Billion dollar companies. Are you in favor of that? Already, they are. No, they already do it. That's, that's what I'm saying. They already. They... No, wait, 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 wait. So if you're not, I'm going to argue that this student loan plan is exactly that. These colleges, they're not. They're not saying people, you paid too much for college, so we're going to make the college give you back money. The government's saying we'll give you back money. These corporations, called Yale and Harvard. And other Ivy League schools right. have right. billions of dollars in the bank, billions, billions of dollars. Actually, right? Yes, because you went to college and can do math. That's your trick, Carmine. But <laughs> do you see what my point, point Brave? No. The, the point, again, I'm not. I'm not defending. Um, I'm not. I have no. I have no faith in uh, the Biden administration or the plan they put forth. And nor, nor am I defending it. What I am defending is the fact that we are old. The people of America are old. And I don't care if you're doing well or you're doing bad. We are old because they've been. They've been. They've been. Well, let's say. Let's say they're old. If you owe fifty thousand dollars to college, I'm going to argue that I do not do, do justice by taking the money from Carmine. Carmine. Doesn't if, if if they said they were going after Yale and Harvard and everybody, if they said they were going to force institutions to pay back an amount of money, I might be, I'd listen to it, but that's not what this is. Carmine, do you see the point they're making? Um, I agree a hundred percent. I said that. Take the endowments. I, I've been saying that from the beginning. Exactly. I also right. want to the say endowments. one thing real quick. Real quick to brave. Wait, I, brave. I, I, wanna, brave. I, wanna, I gotta go. Oh. The music's playing. We're, we're at the top of the hour. Great call, Brave. Thanks so much. Let's take a short break. Then we'll be back with Carmine. 
on the backstory. another hour of the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. I'm investigative journalist Lee Strahan, and I'm joined by our guest co-host, Carmine Sabia, on a Carmine Monday, here on The Backstory. So, this is the part where normally I say how great our guest was in the first hour, but instead I'm going to say <laughs> how great the callers were. They were we great no balls, guests, man. I want yeah, to don't we great on the line, though, man. <laughs> What's that? I wanted, to keep brave on. I wanted to keep brave on. I wanted to talk to him. Yeah, so he'll, he'll, yeah, we, we love brave calling. But, uh, so, look, look, actually, Carmine, why don't you take us through to the next boom? We're going to have Ted Rawl this hour. And, Carmine, what's the name of the show? This is the backstory. See, when you do that, Carmine, it doesn't sound like you went to Art Institute. But Connecticut School of Broadcasting. See? Well, I went to Art Institute for like a few months, man, and I got a $9,000 student loan. So, you know what? I mean, if Biden wants to wipe that out for me, I'm going to take it because I got to pay for everybody else's loan anyway. Now, he mentioned a couple of places. I know who, who they are, and you might. But Full Sail and the Art Institute, if I, some people might not know who they are. And if I describe them as trade schools, for media and the arts. Is that fair? Yeah. And it's I'm trying to be a, an accurate description because as opposed to the Art Institute and Full Sail. See, I used to teach 3D graphics at one of the uh, Full Sail's competitors in Florida. I used to teach animation and video editing and stuff like that. I would say the difference between Full Sail and Art Institute and getting a degree in arts from a big Ivy League school like Harvard or Yale is the focus going to the trade schools is how actually they're cognizant that you need to earn a living. So lots of people, let's say you know how to draw. And let's say then you hear about Art Institute or Wholesale, and they tell you, well, you can make a living drawing. You're 18, and they say, you want to earn a living drawing? And you go, sure, that'd be great. I would say at a university, the art instruction is less career-focused. Do you agree with that, Carmine? Absolutely. But art and I'm not saying— I know when I went there, was more of a cash grab than anything else. Well, they are, because uh, I didn't like working for a school— because here's one of the things that happened at the school. I won't even name them. The school I worked for in Florida. I I was teaching, right? So there's 15 people in the class. And this was this one girl who was having a lot of trouble. And uh, then I found out the kind of trouble she was having. And this is learning computer animation. So these are complex programs, Carmine. Right? Okay. And I was yes, tutoring so. her, and I asked her, well, restart the computer. And she, she admitted to me 
She had never used a computer before. She had no computer experience. Okay. Right. And I asked the question, well, how'd she get into school? And the answer is she had a sugar daddy. And it turned out she was a call girl. She had a sure and not an insult, just reality. So our our school administration had let this person who had no computer experience into the class because the sugar daddy was willing to pay her tuition and the school needed that tuition. Does that make sense? I mean, do you understand it? Not that it, not that it makes sense. It made no freaking sense whatsoever. And it wasn't even fair to her. And so I had to give her basic instruction in, in here's how to turn on a computer. Here's how to manipulate files. Here's how to delete files. That level of understanding. But the problem is, once they realize they, they, they see their students as a body, and part of why they see them as a body is because the government pays for it. So if you get accepted to the school, the state of Florida or the federal government will pay you the $9,000. And the schools, in a sense, do you think the school cares whether Carmine pays them $9,000 or whether the governor of New Jersey pays them $9,000 on behalf of Carmine? Does that make sense? No. I mean, yes, it does make sense, but you're correct. Right. And that's why. So to me, all of education at that level, institutional education, is susceptible to being a ripoff. Because the other thing that you'd have to do, I saw student tours. Every person wants to know one thing. Will I be able to earn a living? If, if I give you my money, if I take this class, are there jobs? And will I be able to get one? And the answer is often, yeah, not exactly. And I showed my students, right, there is a way to get hired. There is a way to get hired, but it's not in, in media particular. Do you think that if you're a 3D animator, anyone cares who's hiring animators that they got a degree? Does that make no. sense? Do they, if, if, if one guy comes in off the street and he has no degree, but he's mega talented and he's got a, he's, he's taught himself computer graphics and he can show you his work is fantastic. And another guy got, has, has a degree, but is not as talented. Guess who gets hired? Well, it depends on how the, guy with the person doing the hiring is. Well, we, yeah, but but they're not stupid at that level because they they never. I've never seen them go. Well, we really need a degree in computer graphics. All they care about is that you're talented. And I'm convinced our society is more and more like that, where except for a doctor or or lawyer, for most things, you know, like, do you care if your auto mechanic? Has a degree on auto mechanics, or do you care whether he knows how to fix an engine? Do you, I want him to do you, fix do you see my point? Right. You see my point, Carmine? I do. What say you, sir? I mean, I agree. Nothing to disagree with. Nothing so, to disagree with. So, I think that I think that you get to a point though where, like you said, I think that you get to a point where the degree is just so sought after because you want to say you have the degree. Right. But 
you know, you 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 write for various publications about politics. When you write about politics, has anyone ever asked you before you submit this? Do you have a degree in political writing? They do not. Right. So they could care less about that. In fact, one of the things in high school, uh, by the way, anybody listening Friday, we talked to Carter about my high school teacher, Andy Bernstein, and we talked to Andy over the weekend, and we're going to get him on a show. But in high school, uh, I had a, a guidance counselor, basically, who asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was 17. And what I said was, you know, those people that I see on TV that talk about politics, I want to be one of them. Does that make sense? Did so, you actually say that? Yeah. No fooling. And what do I do? That. But what the guidance counselor yeah, told me is. I wanted to be a professional wrestling promoter, man. I didn't find. I always loved politics, even in, as a kid in high school. And, man, I would argue. I had liberal teachers. I had conservative teachers, mostly liberal. And I would have great arguments with them back then because back then you could disagree. And it, would still, it was still okay. Um, and the teacher would respect it. And I loved politics, but never thought about making it a career until basically I was, my story's interesting, but I was discovered on Twitter because I'm loud. And I just say things and I would wow. fight with celebrities and stuff. And some a, a one publication found me and then they trained me. And then on and on it went till now I'm an editor and a, I go on TV and do radio and all this stuff. But I didn't know. You, you know, I, I it seemed out of reach for me or it didn't seem like a real career path until it became a real career path. Well, and what what this guidance counselor told me was when I told him I wanted to be one of those people who talks about politics, she said, OK, to do that, you're going to need to get a master's, probably a doctorate and go to Georgetown and your grades. You don't apply yourself. So you need to get your grades up in order to do that. And what I did was I thought to myself, screw you. And I quit high school. Yeah, I was because, I was a C student, graduated high school, and did about two weeks of college. Yeah, yeah. I uh, well, you know, it's always fun. Can you guess the last grade I completed, Carmine? Ten. Guess again. Well, you said high school, so I got a I got a twenty five percent. Eleven. So the last grade I completed was eighth. What? I'm an. Because here's the thing. I dropped out of ninth grade after I stayed back, and then I went to college. So I got into a place called Simons Rock Early College for people who were too young to go to college. So I attended some high school, dropped out, and then went to college, and then dropped out of there. Does that make sense? Uh, education, to me, <laughs> I hate to say this, it's going to sound so wrong, but education's a huge scam, in my opinion. Unless you go for something specialized, you're gonna be a doctor, you're gonna be a lawyer, you're gonna be a pharmacist, you're gonna be something that's that's requires that level of education. Well, do you know what I liked? Uh, I, I wish this was the case today. It used to be that to practice law, you did not need a law's degree. What you needed you to do was to pass the bar. Yeah, but but most of the country. You, you have to, right? So Correct. it used to be that way everywhere. In fact, Earl Stanley Gardner, who's an author who wrote Perry Mason, the Perry Mason books and the TV oh. show, Earl Stanley Gardner did not graduate law school. 
He just passed the bar. So I wish we had that today because I would be practicing law because I'm good at taking tests. And I swear I to God, I could pass the bar. I probably would have been an attorney if that was the case. I probably would have been because I wanted to be an attorney. I didn't want to go to law school. Exactly right. And I, I wish we were back to that. But the fact is, the lawyers make the laws. Therefore, they made it harder to practice law because they didn't want competition. That's my paranoid conspiracy theory. Yeah, I, I think I, I would have been an attorney probably, man, because I, 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 I'm great at passing tests. Like you said, I would have just studied for the bar. Yes, and, and that's actually more important, in my opinion, than the fact that you sat through 1L or whatever. Because <laughs> I had a girlfriend who was going through law school, and a lot of the stuff she was learning was stupid. It was pointless. Well, you know why I dropped out? I'll tell you why I dropped out of college. I'll tell you why I dropped out of community college after two weeks. I dropped out of community college after two weeks because I was going for criminal justice. I said, well, all right, I'm going to be a cop, right? And I'm going to want to be a sergeant and a lieutenant, and I'm going to want to do all those things, right? So you got to have a degree to do those things. So I go to college for two weeks. I'm learning math. I'm learning science. I'm learning this. I'm learning that. I'm learning all things not pertaining to what it is I want to do. And I just went home one day. I said to my mother, may she rest in peace. I said, I'm leaving. I said, this is 13th grade. This is a complete waste of time. There's nothing. I, I thought, you know, being young and naive, I thought you go to college, you learn about the thing you went to college to learn about. But that's not really the case. Yeah, no, that, that's exactly right. And 13th grade, that phrase, I've used that phrase. It's a good description. Most college, in fact, my son Shane who used to cause to show fall lines on this network. My son Shane was homeschooled, but he went to school for a couple of years. And when high school was over, he was like 17 and he went to college because he wanted to study philosophy. And so he he's went, okay, let me go to college. And he hated it because he wanted to learn, but he was surrounded by people who did not want to learn. Does that make sense, Colonel? Correct. Correct. Most of them are not interested in learning. They're interested. Most people, I'm going to say this, it's going to be controversial. And they want us to pay for this, by the way. Most people, I'd say 80% of your students, the ones partying and beer pong and this, that most of them, by the way, that we're paying their loans off on, the only thing they learned in college was how to get a ping pong ball in a cup. Now, most people, I would say 80% of people in college, Go to school to postpone being an adult. And and also, now I'm, I'm, I, I don't want to seem like I'm insulting my wife during a, a divorce. And it's not I'm not insulting her. But in my experience, I've been paying off my wife's student loans for years. She took out student loans and she promptly went out and bought boobs. She got a breast enlargement with the money. Now, I'm not arguing that that was a bad move because I certainly enjoyed that. But I was going to say, you did get that, use out of it. Right. <laughs> and, but that phenomenon of people spending the, their student loans on other things, I think is fairly common. You agree? Very. Super common. Yes. Super common. Almost everybody I know that has a student loan did that. And so that's what we're, you know, I think Ian Miles Strong was pointing out that breast enlargement is gender-affirming for women. Yes. yes. 
I saw that today. Yeah, Ian's funny, but uh, uh, yeah, he's hilarious. He is. I, that phenomenon, because they never mentioned that when Biden's trying to sell this program and say we want to pay, give money back, we want want to reduce the burden on people who got a student loan and didn't spend it on anything related to education, but went out and bought a car or whatever. That's what they're, in fact, doing with his program. Do you agree, Carmine? Yes. Now, let's get to clips. I've got another clip here. This is former director of national intelligence, Radcliffe, talking to Tucker Carlson. And you'll see why this is apropos. Let's play the clip with DNI Radcliffe talking to Tucker on his show. Hit it. I was actually surprised to hear uh, Mark Zuckerberg say that because what he related the FBI told him was exactly the opposite of what my conversations with the FBI director himself at the time were about. We knew uh, when uh, Adam Schiff was uh, in October of 2020 uh, talking about Hunter Biden's laptop as Russian disinformation and using his platform as the chairman of the Intelligence Committee to, to mislead voters about that, we knew that, that that simply wasn't true, that it wasn't Russian disinformation, that there was no intelligence. And, and discussions between my office, the director of national intelligence, the FBI, and the attorney general uh, at the Department of Justice, all uh, we all agreed, look, we need to counter this. Uh, and I put out a statement and was backed up by both the uh, Department of Justice and FBI uh, that this was not Russian disinformation. So to hear that, uh, contrary to what the FBI director uh, was saying in the official position of the FBI, that agents were acting in contradiction to that in dealings with Facebook or telling, uh, if whistleblowers are to be believed, telling FBI agents uh, to suppress information about Hunter Biden's laptop and to amplify damaging information about then-President Donald Trump, you know, that, that is um, uh, entirely inconsistent with what we all knew, which was, and what you, what you now know and the public knows, is that this wasn't Russian disinformation. Hunter Biden's laptop was real. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, a lot of folks misled uh, the American people about that and the American voter about that two weeks before a presidential election. That's election interference, is it not? I don't know what else it would be. Yeah, I, uh, it is election interference, um, you know, to the extent that these allegations are true, that FBI agents um, were uh, no, knowingly putting bad information um, out there, uh, it absolutely. We, and the troubling part about this, uh, Tucker, is the FBI is the primary domestic authority for enforcing election security, for making sure that oh. people don't interfere with the American voters in American elections. And if they're engaged in election interference, then we've got a real problem. And I think that's why so many Americans uh, mistrust uh, the FBI. Now, he he slightly weaseled. He's saying. To the extent we know it's true, but he's admitting that he knows Adam Schiff was saying it publicly. So I guarantee you it's true, right? I mean, I mean, he, we know it's true. The FBI was saying this was Russian disinformation. And one thing occurred to me listening to that, Carmine, was that the term Russian disinformation, if you say something's Russian disinformation, information. Washington, D.C. is such that right now, if you claim anything, 
is Russian disinformation. Everybody is afraid to question you in a second. No one is saying, what are you talking about? Prove it. It's an accusation that requires no proof. You see what I'm saying, Carmine? Did we lose Carmine? Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm here. You're correct. Now you no. just say it, and it's automatically true. Right, and no one dares question it. And so I'm saying that if something is described as Russian information, it's probably true, and they're just using that as an excuse. I'm going to go that far and say that that's a lie told by people to cover up a crime often. Because we've well, seen also, it when enough. Say, when, people say, when people say Russia, quote, interfered in the election, the, the, it sounds like they hacked the election or something like that. It's not what happened. At the worst, what they're saying is they placed ads on Facebook. And they don't specify the nature of the ads. They don't specify Russia placed ads that were lying. For instance, if Russia put on an ad, and by the way, people from other countries spend money on American elections. And even a Russian, Mikhail Khodorkovsky, a billionaire, he's Russian. He spent money on the election and he backed Hillary Clinton. So if your information is backing the right person, it's not disinformation. Does that make sense? Correct. And I would argue with you that the election was stolen. It just wasn't stolen in the way that the traditional definition is, if that makes sense. The traditional definition of the stolen election, the narrative is, oh, the ballot boxes were stuffed and this and that. No, that's not what happened. It was the Hunter Biden laptop. It was the media literally conspiring against one candidate. It was the mail-in ballot a catastrophe where you're sending ballots to people who had no interest in voting, know nothing about the issues. You're sticking a ballot in their face. Well, I hate Donald Trump. You know, that's how the election was, quote, stolen. And I think that, that, that like you said, I think Trump and then Mike Lindell focus on the wrong dang thing. Yes. And I want to point out that the inherent corruption there is Mike Lindell has a lot of influence. And why does he have a lot of influence? Because he allows people to make money or gives them money directly. Correct. Lots of you'll, you'll see guys like Jack Posobiec. He's a pillow salesman. So Mike Lindell allows someone like Jack to make extra money selling pillows. And that gives Mike Lindell a lot of influence that I, I don't think he deserves. Well, and there's, there's actually a lot more, but I can't tell you it on air, but there's a lot more that he did with his money to get influence that I know for a fact. Yes. So let's take a short break, Carmine, because Ted Rawls online. When we come back, we have the clip from the New York governor telling people who are political opponents to get out of the state. Let's take a short break, and when we come back, we're talking to Ted Rawl on Backstory. Story and on 105.5 FM, AM 1390 in Washington, D.C. 
We're joined now by the great cartoonist, author, and Bob Vivant, Ted Rawl, great friend of the show. Hey, Ted, how you doing? I'm okay, Lee. How are you doing? I'm okay. So, Ted, we were talking about places like, and you're the perfect person to talk to, because as I'll, I'll call you something else, you are an art entrepreneur. You've figured out how to sell your own work, and you've had jobs, for instance, being a, a cartoonist for LA Times, but you also have your own site at RALL.com, RALL.com, if I'm going to pronounce it right. So, Ted, you're the perfect person to ask this. We were talking about places like Art Institute and Full Sail, and I'm sure you're familiar with them somewhat. And the idea that these are schools that are like trade schools for people who want to make money in the media. So, Ted, as a working artist, is it fair to call you a working artist? I think it is. It what is. do you think of the role of education in people who want to be a working artist? I say, uh, the, I say at the end of the day, it's the work that's the only thing that matters. Having a degree doesn't matter. If your portfolio is great, if your work is good, that's going to go a lot further than a degree. What say you, Ted Rawl? I 99% agree with that statement. Uh, I, you know, I know lots of lots of people who've gone to art school and are very unsuccessful. Lots of people who have no art draftsmanship chops whatsoever and are uh, very successful. Think about some of the most famous cartoonists ever, like Gary Larson. Totally self-trained, uh, learned to do it himself. All you need in cartooning is just a pen and a piece of paper. My 1% reservation to that is just that, you know, you, you definitely can pick up some drawing chops and some tips from experienced art professors. Uh, there's no question also that uh, some, some of the more elite schools uh, have professors who can hook you up with jobs when you, you know, freelance jobs when you get out of say, the School of Visual Arts or Cooper Union or someplace like that. But really, you know, it's, it's a very, the truth is in the aggregate, art school is a terrible investment. Um, it's, a, you know, it would be, even if you're rich and you have nothing better to do, it's probably smarter to just uh, take, some, take some art classes uh, on a freelance basis uh, at your local college, um, you know, and, and you'll be, you'll be, you'll get, 90% of what you would have gotten from art school for 5% of the price. You don't need a, an art degree. It's, it's a total waste. And here's my reservation to what I said. I think the benefit of going to school is also you work with people who might later get jobs and then recommend you. Does that make sense? So if you go to school with somebody and they get hired at, in, in my case, like one of the studios at ILM, if they ask him at ILM, do you know anybody who's good? He might say, well, I went, had this guy I went to school with, very talented guy. And they'd say, bring him in. So sometimes the social contacts, your fellow students, and you can never predict how, but I would say your fellow students can sometimes be the way you get in. Does that make sense, Ted? Yeah, no, that's, that's totally true. And that there's, there's some pretty famous cases of that happening. Uh, RISD, Rhode Island School of Design, had a sort of 
cartoonist collective back in the 90s called Fort Thunder. And they were all sort of guys who worked together, went to school together, and then kind of did projects together and helped each other out uh, throughout their careers. And so they sort of formed a famous scene. That kind of thing can happen. But, it, you know, frankly, um, even if you didn't, if you're like me and you're self-trained, you didn't go to art school, uh, you, you know, we, you end up making friends with colleagues and you end up helping each other that way. So you're probably going to get that anyway, one way or the other. No, no, that's a good point. And uh, I tell people, because, again, I've taught at a 3D animation school. I said, if you want to get a job, here's how you do it. Go to California, because that's where the visual effects industry is. So go to California and then start going to parties. And I say, and don't be a jerk and don't be drunk and belligerent. Because if you keep showing up at parties, you'll eventually meet people who work in the field of visual effects. And then if you get drunk and beat them up, they won't like you. So I say, don't beat up people and don't be a jerk and just be a nice guy. And eventually someone will say, so what do you do? And if you say to them, well, I'm, I'm, I want to be a visual effects artist. Since you've been nice to them at parties, they'll say, oh, do you have a reel? Can I see your work? Give me a flash drive. And if it's good, that will lead to something. Uh, maybe a meeting, maybe not a job, but you never know. So I, you can have the same networking that you develop in college on your own. And that's why for actors, I say, I always tell people, if you want to be an actor, join an improv group or a theater group or something, and then do a good job. And again, don't be a belligerent jerk and watch your drinking because that can affect you. But uh, uh, poor impulse, impulse control. But the people who I started off as losers with in the improv group I was with, we were all loser actors. But 10 years later, some of them were now working writers or was producers. One people, Glenn, was one of those people Glenn Quagmire? Yes. No, that's a good point. So, so Ted, what say you? Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think, uh, you know, like, if you want to break into Hollywood, you got to move to L.A. You have to hobnob, socialize, and uh, it's it's about, you know, it's like the X song. It's who you know. And um, it's it that's the work's not as important as that. Uh, a lot of people think, oh, if the work's just good, but then that's good enough. But it's really not. You, you really need to uh, to have a... Uh, you know, to, be, to have those connections. And I agree with you. I think, um, you know, if you think about the money that you would spend on an art institute, uh, you know, education, you're looking at, you know, three, you know, maybe $300,000. You could spend that $300,000 if you used that to invest in yourself in terms of travel, business development, uh, personal enrichment, uh, you know, it's distribution. You could, you know, half of that money would probably get you a lot further than that four-year degree. No, no. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And if you, for instance, rent an apartment or you mount your own production or you make a film, if like today, if someone wanted to be a filmmaker, I'd say get a good phone and make a film with that phone. And if you do that, people will notice you. 
Ted, also, if you get elected governor, don't tell people to leave your state. Now, let's play this clip. This is shocking. The governor of New York, and she's still never been elected, right? She was still appointed after Cuomo left. Am I right? That is correct, yeah. So she's running for re-election, but she did not get in that position. And let's play the clip. Hit it. And we're here to say that the era of Trump and Zeldin and Molinaro, just jump on a bus and head down to Florida where you belong, okay? Get out of town. Get out of town. Because you, re- you don't represent our values. You are not New Yorkers. Now, what do you think of that as from a strategic point of view, Ted? Well, I mean, you know, that's red meat for the Democratic base, obviously, not to be taken seriously. It's not a call for all Republican voters to uh, leave the state of New York. Uh, She herself comes from a relatively conservative part of the state. I have a question. I have to jump in here. I'm, I'm I'm in New Jersey. And I just, I guess I can't wrap my mind around this. Is she going to win the governor's race, the accidental governor? Is she going to really win an election? It, it looks like it. Um, I, I would say probably, yeah. Uh, she was just, she and that's was only, picked that's just by the cool. party. She was picked by the party bosses. Uh, you know, it I mean, it's hilarious it because... Sorry, you could ahead. literally run a glass. You could literally run a glass of water in New York, put a D next to its name, and it's winning. This oh, woman well, has no qualifications true. to be governor. Uh, that's true. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, I think about when Hillary Clinton ran as a carpetbagging senator, uh, senatorial candidate yeah. in two thousand, and she had to do. Uh, you know, she. Did not hit the ground running, did not do well. She thought it was just going to be handed to her. Uh, and so she had to end up, she had to swallow a little, eat a little humble pie and go on a listening tour of upstate New York to see what, you know, uh, quote unquote, real New Yorkers think about. And, um, you know, it, uh, what was it? Uh, Rick Lazio was the congressman from uh, Nassau County at the time in Long Island. Wait, Hello? did we drop Ted? Did Ted drop? That sounds like Ted dropped. So, Carmine, okay. uh, yeah, so go ahead. Respond to what Ted was saying while we're waiting for him to come back. Well, I think she's right. I think he's right. She was just saying these particular politicians uh, need to need to go. She's not looking to get rid of everybody at the same time. What a joke. What a joke. What a complete well, joke I would she say- is. The way we're talking, if you want to work in visual effects, move to Hollywood, for instance. That's not—I'm not saying it's it's great. I'm saying if you want to be a ski instructor, you're not going to do it from Brooklyn. If you want to be a ski instructor, move to Denver or someplace. Does that make sense? So yeah, if you want right. to be elected as, as a Republican, don't move to New York. Correct. And Hillary made the right move. Moving to New York, but Ted, welcome back. I'm a little. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a personal complaint I have. I went to high school and I lived in Chappaqua, New York. That was 40 years ago. Now Chappaqua 
is famous now because the Clintons live there. But I think people have the wrong impression. Chappaqua is not like Aspen. There are a lot of expensive homes in Chappaqua, but that's, I just think, a function of New York. There's, it's a nice, small town, actually. And Chappaqua has become, with some Republicans, the equivalent of Beverly Hills, and is different than that. So, Ted, do you know anything about Chappaqua? You're in New York, or do you just view it as some faraway place in Westchester? It's pretty, it's pretty much, uh, as far as most New Yorkers are concerned, it's a uh, prosperous little cute town up in Westchester, one of several. Historically, you know, Chappaqua, what used to be famous for Horace Greeley, um, the yes, 1872 candidate, uh, Democratic candidate for president and newspaper publisher for the New York Tribune, uh, who was defeated and he was a leftist, by... Right? He was a... Yeah, he was, was a he was a liberal, and he was defeated by uh, President Grant running for re-election. Um, and, you know, he, what's, what's funny is it's a good thing that he lost because he died, I think, two months after the, after the election. So it's, uh, we kind of dodged a bullet there. But Horace Greeley, Horace Greeley was known as the sage of Chappaqua. He was considered an extraordinarily wise politician. And uh, that's what Chappaqua used to be notable for. Yes, aside from that, I live there. But, uh, and I live right down the street, a block away from the statue of Horace Greeley. You can see it from the Sunmel Parkway. The statue of Horace Greeley, I live right down the street from that. So, so, but have you noticed that, Carmine, the people on the right? I, I was listening to somebody talk about that, Mark Levin, and he said, she's up there in Chappaqua. And he made it sound kind of scary. And it was really nice. Yes. Actually, it's a nice little town. It's a, a commuter town. If you live in Chappaqua, you probably work in New York and take the train in and go by Katona and Brewster and those towns. Does that sound right, Ted? That sounds right. Yeah. So now, Ted, what do you think as we've had? First off, the big issue we talked about last week, I'm sure you've seen Mark Zuckerberg talking to Joe Rogan and admitting that the FBI contacted Facebook and said Russian disinformation. And Zuckerberg says, but it's clear the FBI influenced their decision. Do you think that actually crosses a line and that the FBI may have violated the First Amendment? And I, I'm saying it's a First Amendment violation because it's direct involvement from the government. It's not a private company anymore. What say you, Ted Rawl? Well, so uh, certainly ethically and morally, it's a First Amendment violation. Legally, it probably isn't because it would only be like, I don't think pressure and influence qualifies as First Amendment censorship by a government agency. Uh, they would have to indicate that there was some sort of order from the government to censor uh, you know, or some kind of like pressure, like, uh, you know, black, like blackmail, like if, you know, you Zuckerberg don't do this, then we will, you know, do that. Uh, I don't think there's any indication of that. The, the problem here with this is twofold. Uh, one is it's extremely unseemly. And I don't think really Zuckerberg or any other media, um, anyone else who's in any other executive who controls a media company, which Facebook is 
arguably the biggest media company in the country, uh, should take calls from the FBI at all. Um, but they, the thing is, they all do it. I mean, the publisher of the New York Times, the, uh, the CEO of CBS News, all of these big media companies constantly liaising and talking to and taking and accepting requests from the deep state, from the FBI, sometimes from the intelligence community, uh, sometimes from the president or one of his minions. This is like a standard thing that they do, and they do it so much that they don't even, first of all, most Americans are not aware of it, and um, they don't, there's no accountability. Like, no one ever calls them out and says, this is wrong, this is something you ought not to be doing. But I think it's pretty obvious that it's, you know, you, you the, the CEO of a, of a tech company or a media company should not have any dealings with anyone that they might be covering or that they might be affecting. That's a conflict, direct conflict of interest. And, but, but, you know, unfortunately it's just one of those completely unpoliced things. Well, I mean, I'll give you an example. I've had several of my videos this past week demonetized because they're quote in a restricted category. Now this was not an issue for months. All of a sudden, my conservative political videos are now in a restricted category. Well, what's the restricted category? They don't really tell you. In the same videos I've been doing, now they're restricted. So, I mean, they are absolutely a media company, and they need to start being held to those standards. What say you, Ted? No, I, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, the thing is the... Like Facebook has been, and you know these other tech companies have been trying to play it both ways, and to say that they're they're not a media platform, they're not a publisher, they're not a, an online newspaper. All they really, they're not an aggregator like the old Drudge Report. Uh, they're just a uh, a platform like a, a telecom, like AT and T. Uh, you know, so like if someone makes a a phone call that contains uh, illegal content, you know. You can't sue Verizon for the phone call. They weren't listening to it. They had no way to know what would be said. They had no way to stop it from being said. They couldn't control it. Um, that's the protection that something like Facebook wants. But the truth is, they are censoring the content. They are monitoring Correct. the content. Uh, they are picking and choosing what gets on, what doesn't get on, and to what extent, right? Like, they throttle content. They push some down ever so slightly. That's what happened in this particular case uh, with Facebook, where they uh, they pushed the um, uh, Joe the the Hunter Biden laptop story down, you know, I've heard various estimates, but like roughly fifty percent. So it got out to about half the people who would otherwise have seen it in their feed. It got it got crushed, believe me. And it was yeah, it was smushed, right? And the thing is that there was no sort of like, in other words, here's what happened. Explain to you what happened so you understand the whole actual domino effect. Well, people could still share it, but not as many would see it. Here's what happens to us as a publisher, okay? We make our living, uh, most publishers right now make their living via Facebook, okay? And you make your living by how many clicks you get, your advertisers pay for that, okay? Well, we're not going to write Hunter Biden stories if they're getting squished. So in essence, what they did was you could write them. We can't stop writing them but you're not going to make any money on them. Well, if we're not going to make any money on them, we're not going to write them. And that's how they killed the story. Yeah. Or stories also, like it. No, no. I, we talked in the show 
about the my pillow guy, Mike Lindell, and what I'll call the soft uh, corruption of getting a job. People who can make you money, it's a, a kind of soft corruption because you soft pedal what you say. And for people in the FBI or the military industrial complex, the people who will give you a job when you retire, let's take Chris Ray from the FBI. I don't know for sure, because no one could predict your future, but I'm sure when he retires, he's gonna be offered a job by CNN or MSNBC or Facebook, because these high tech companies now have people who do, they, he, he'd be their security officer. Does that make sense? And he might make a couple hundred thousand a year. He might make more money than he ever made at the FBI working for Facebook. And if you know that, and you're Chris Ray, the thing I say often, and I, I'm moving back to DC, and some people say it's awful. I'm gonna tell everyone it's not awful. DC is a very nice place to live. And live in Northern Virginia or Silver Springs, there's lots of parts that are very nice. What I say about it is the swamp has fabulous shopping and dining and wonderful brunches. And what happens is if you move to DC, you're Chris Ray, let's say, and you've got a wife and kids, you're paying a lot of money for your rent. Rents there are very expensive. And then you get a chance to double your income after you retire. You're not going to say, no, honey, we're not, I'm going to turn down that money because I'm principled. So, <laughs> Ted, but, but you understand what I'm saying, Carmine? If, yes. if CNN offers Chris Ray twice as much money and they say that's for five hours a week, we'll occasionally call on you and send a limo for you and have you on TV. You are not going to say to your wife, I turned down CNN's offer because we're going to be ethical and we're going to live in someplace cheap in West Virginia. No one does that because Correct. it creates domestic friction. So, Ted, do you see that danger of a soft kind of corruption, what I'll call a high-tech project mockingbird with a new job? title. Ted? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, I think about that kind of thing all the time. I mean, every time, I mean, I, every day of the week, I'm drawing at least or writing at least one cartoon or one essay. And every time I put pen to paper or keypad, key, uh, keypad to thumb, I think to myself, this might be the article or the, or the cartoon that causes me not to get some sweet job someday. Um, and so, yeah, no, I, absolutely, I absolutely think that. And it's, and it's, it sucks. I mean, and people are like, well, the first amendment, you know, doesn't, doesn't guarantee your right to be published or to be seen. It just gives you the right not to be like put, to, put in prison for what you write. And, but you know, that's, that's really facile in a capitalist system. Everyone has bills to pay. Uh, you know, everyone has, families to mouths to feed at least their own and the fact is that if you you know certainly people can write for free but if you want to have professional writers who uh you know live and breathe writing and journalism and analysis 
uh, and, and, and do it on a, in a deep way, uh, you know, this kind of incentive is going to cause them, force them uh, into not being as aggressive or independent as they ought to be. It's hard. Now, it's hard, bro. Yeah, go ahead, Carmine. No, what he's saying is, is, is the truth. It's hard because every time, the truth is, like he said, every time you write an article, every time you write a tweet, you're like, is this the one that somebody's 10 years from now is going to say, oh, oh, you know, we were going to use you, but this tweet you sent that some kid now found because he searched your timeline for a half an hour. You know what I'm saying? You think about that all the time. Absolutely. As a, as a writer, absolutely think about that all the time. And I'll point it out, it's not ideological because people appear on the Rachel Maddow show and people appear on Fox News. What happens is seldom does someone sit down and talk to you. You just know if you're a regular guest on Maddow, and a certain amount of your income depends on that. And by the way, a lot of times the income's not from Maddow show herself, but it's the platform it gives you. Trust me, if Ted were on Maddow every week, Ted, you make more money, right? Because you'd sell more comic books or whatever. I didn't get oh, paid anything. Yeah. As a writer for Huffington Post, I worked for free, but I made good money. And so if you work for Maddow and you go on and go, I like Russia, I side with Russia, you know that's not going to go over well. So you either soft pedal your views or don't bring them up, up, up at all. And th this is not ideological. It happens on the right and the left. And it's every we can have this conversation with anyone who works for a living in politics, and they all agree with us. Agreed, Ted? A hundred percent. I think maybe the only people who don't have to worry about it are like namby-pamby centrist moderates who don't really have strong opinions in the first place. Or people like that. We and we all know them. I have I have celebrities that will message me, DM me all the time and say, thanks for speaking for me. People like that who will not talk about politics because they're just going to play it safe. Yeah, I have those people, too. Um, it's It's really annoying. I'm like, you know, if you want me to speak for you, you should probably send, you know, PayPal me sometimes. Correct. Correct. If you're not going to have the guts to speak for yourself and you say I'm speaking for you, let me give you my PayPal address. Now, earlier, Ted, we were debating. And, and uh, Carmine, let me say this, too. I appreciate the debate earlier. And I was speaking somewhat vigorously. But because I'm recovering from my stroke still, I sometimes push myself to speak vigorously, because what they told me in speech therapy is that if I talk slowly, so if I say 105.5 FM, I can speak better, I can articulate better, but I don't always like to take the easy way out. I like to push myself, because that's the only way you improve your speech. So, you know I love you, and love Owl Killer, and so sometimes it sounds a little spazzy, but... I like yeah. vigorous debate among friends. I love that. So, yes. yeah, no, and and I I know you can take it, Carmine. So, uh, but let me just point out again, I, I I love you. It's a pleasure to work with you, and I so I was if I offended anyone, I wasn't trying to, but absolutely Ted, not. What do you think about the idea of political change? Are you a pessimist or an optimist when you look at things? Long term, 
for instance, things that you want to happen, like maybe healthcare changes, that was not going anywhere for a long time. But I'm going to point out that eventually it broke through. And I think the only way to achieve anything in politics is to think long term and not give up on short term. Because if you're looking for instant solutions, they hardly ever happen. So, Ted, from a practical point of view, what do you think is the importance of patience for an activist? Um, you know, keep your eye on the prize. Wait, we lost it again. Did we lose him again? Ah, at the end of the show. Yeah. So, so Carmine, let's finish up with you then. Uh, what do you think of the idea, keep your eye on the prize, and patience is a virtue in political activism? I agree with it. It's just really tough. So it's tough emotionally, but yes. this is part of the reason behind, uh, but I'll put it like this, you're interested in wrestling, and if you're impatient at wrestling, there might be a point where being thrown off a turnbuckle or something like that, you're like, this isn't fun. You're going to get beat up a lot. If you want to be a prize fighter, you're going to get punched in the face, right? Correct. So I'm saying the same thing is true for politics. If you're going to be in politics, you're going to get punched in the face. And what is the equivalent of being punched in the face? It's, I'll put it like this. You're going to be attacked by the worst people in the world. But a great episode today. Thanks for being with me, Carmine. Thanks to Ted Rawl for a great segment. And we'll be back tomorrow on The Backstory. Backstory.